Welcome to Super Responders, the practical podcast helping us navigate difficult conversations about things that matter. I'm Molly, I'm the host, and I'm on a journey to build my toolkit to start calling out injustice where I see it and build confidence to have these hard conversations about things that matter. Whether it's about climate change, gender, racism, homophobia, change starts the conversation. In this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be exploring how we respond in some of these really awkward conversations about the COVID vaccines, exploring what are the long-term side effects, how do we weigh up our risks, and where do we find the right information. So if you're not quite sure yet, or if anyone you know isn't quite sure and you want to engage in a discussion, then this episode is for you. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Ghana and Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people. The creators and guests on this podcast pay our respect to Elders past, present and emerging. It always was and it always will be Aboriginal land, and sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. For this episode of Super Responders, we're talking about how to have hard conversations about COVID vaccines, and I'm here today with Dr Jess Kaufman from the Vaccine Uptake Group at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. Jess, are you sick of talking about vaccines yet? No, I love talking about vaccines. That's very good for us. So I'm really passionate about this because I've been struggling a lot in these difficult conversations about COVID vaccines. I've had my Pfizer already, but I do know a lot of people that might just be questioning, uh, weighing up their risks, and so... I'm really glad that you're here. Before I jump into the questions, how does someone get to be a vaccine communication specialist? Oh, I sort of fell into it, really. I started out, I did a, uh, my undergrad degree in America at Northwestern University, and it was in communication studies. And I thought I wanted to work in advertising. And I <laughs> did one internship in advertising and went, this is not for me. Um, and then I moved to... Um, well, I moved to New Zealand and then I moved to Australia and I was looking for work and I sort of, through a friend of a friend, uh, got a short-term research assistant job at the Cochrane Consumers and Communication Review Group, which is at La Trobe University. And it was purely kind of almost admin and some writing and that kind of thing. And I just, I loved it. And I kept having these short-term contracts extended and I ended up spending 10 years there and got my PhD while I was working there. And the the first major project that I worked on while I was there was a project that was funded from the Norwegian government, which was called Comvac, and it was Communicate to Vaccinate. So it happened to be that I was in health communication more generally, but this project really funneled me towards communication strategies to promote vaccination sort of, you know, globally and in, in different settings. And I mean, ever since then, I guess I've just been working in different strategies to promote vaccines how to evaluate strategies that promote vaccines, like how do we measure whether communication works, that kind of thing. And yeah, and then it's sort of one thing led to another. And now I've been at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute since 2017 working on this topic. Awesome. And I mean, what a time to be in the industry. I don't know whether you're loving it or hating it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it's funny because in some ways we've been talking about and researching, you know, 
concepts like vaccine hesitancy and confidence in vaccines and, you know, what makes people decide to get vaccinated or not for, you know, five, 10 years. And it's been really hard to get people to kind of come on board with that or, or get a huge amount of attention because you're usually talking about childhood vaccines or maybe vaccines in pregnancy. And all of a sudden, it's like the whole world just discovered this whole field of research all at once. <laughs> I can imagine this is uh, the demand for the industry is very, it's increased tremendously as well. Yeah. It doesn't uh, always come with lots of additional funding, I will say, but there's mm, certainly a little bit more public interest in it. Definitely. Well, I wonder if we can jump in to some of the things that I've heard um, in the last few weeks. One of the overarching things is, oh, I'm just not sure about that vaccine. What do, what, what do you say to that? Ah. So I think the first thing to say about this and, and really the whole premise of what we're talking about here is that you every conversation you have with someone can make a really big difference. So it doesn't matter if you're an expert. It doesn't matter if you know all the answers. If you're willing to engage in this conversation, maybe not necessarily with someone who's like, a, a rabid, um, you know, uh, anti-vaccine activist and is pushing lots of conspiracy theories, but someone who just has questions and stuff, if you want to have a conversation with them, that can have a big impact. So the, the first thing I would say, if you just meet someone who says, I'm just not sure about the vaccine, I would ask them why. And I would be really open-minded and uh, like, you want to understand what's driving people's hesitancy. And so ask and be ready to listen. Oh, that's a good one. And I can imagine that might lead into so many different wormholes based on so much misinformation. So, well, that actually is another, that's another good point. So when you ask people what they're worried about, and we usually suggest that you kind of assume people have more than one concern. So you sort of say, what, what concerns do you have? What, what are you thinking about? What, you know, what are you worried about? And let them sort of share everything that they're worried about before you jump in and try and correct them or, you know, respond to each thing. Because sometimes, the thing that's really the most important to someone is is not the first concern that they raise if that makes sense so you kind of want them to get it all out and then you can kind of summarize it back to them and be like all right look sounds like you have a lot of concerns you've really thought about this a lot you've got a lot of concerns some of them are about safety you're worried about the effect on fertility and you're a little bit unsure if maybe there's some 5g involved is that right and so then you kind of bring some structure back to that conversation Mm -hmm. So listening seems to be like the most important part of that is really listening, putting yourself in their shoes and understanding, okay, what are they actually concerned about? Yeah, definitely. Because if you think about it, it's pretty normal to have questions about COVID vaccines. Like I think we really have an opportunity to, you know, acknowledge and answer people's questions right now. And I really get worried when I get, I, I sense this growing like frustration with people like, why don't you just go out and get it and, and judging people who haven't gotten it yet. And I think that that's really going to push people further away. If they're concerned, they won't want to talk about it. They won't want to get their questions answered because they'll be afraid they'll be judged. And I think that that's a real danger as we sort of like strive towards this 80% coverage rate. Absolutely. So maybe we can explore some of these lighthearted ways to respond to some of these little barriers that people might be having to getting the vaccines. One that I hear, I've heard probably most is that the vaccines, they arrived so fast. And how do we know that they're safe when they're introduced so quickly? 
This is probably the number one question that we get in, in our work and our training sessions that we deliver and everything as well. So it's, I, I think it's a good one to start with. And the short answer is none of the steps in the regular development and testing process for these vaccines were skipped. The reason, there's a couple of reasons that they were able to be done so quickly. And the main reason is money. Like if you think about most diseases, most vaccines, you just, every step of the way in the development process costs lots of money. Every trial that you're going to put on costs, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And so a lot of the process is usually spent waiting between stages, trying to get enough funding to do the next stage. Um, and then also when you're talking about trials, when you need to have lots of people to enroll in the trial, you're waiting to enroll all these people because what's the, what's, you know, what's, what's in it for people to, to, to enroll in a clinical trial normally. And the other thing you're normally waiting for is for there to be enough of whatever this disease that you're trying to prevent is because once you give the vaccine to people in these phase three trials, you need to see if it prevents disease. So with COVID, we had global investment on a scale we've never seen before. So every trial was funded immediately all the way through. We had tons of people willing to sign up for the trials because they, you know, what the alternative is COVID. And we had tons of disease in, in different parts of the world. So the way that they did these, these phases of the trial, so they do the phase one safety study, they collected enough data to see that it was it was, seemed like it was safe. They started the phase two studies, which is where we're testing to see if it causes an immune reaction while they were still doing phase one. So they're still collecting phase one data, overlapping with that. They're collecting data about immune response. Then they start overlapping that with the phase three trial, which is in tens of thousands of people. And that's the one to see if it's preventing disease. So these things are all overlapping. And then the most important thing here is the vaccine companies took a punt basically and started manufacturing these vaccines before the end of these trials, which normally is a huge risk for them, right? So financially, they would never do that. But uh, they started doing that, you know, fingers crossed, these vaccines are going to be good. And so we finished all three phases of the study. Nothing was skipped. We got to the point where the regulators looked at all the data from all those studies as they normally would. They made the normal decision about you know, safety and effectiveness, and they put their stamp of approval on it, and the vaccines were already ready to go because of the manufacturers. So if you think about normally, it's all spread out with lots of gaps, and instead, it all happened in an overlapping fashion, and it was ready to go as soon as they finished. It's kind of a long answer, but the gist of it is money, investment, and focus. Yeah, I guess it's just, if someone said that to me, I guess it's just like a really different situation to many other vaccines. Yeah, the investment was super so much more and there was a lot more tension on it, which attracted the investment and then the people wanting to be involved in the trials and just so much global attention and they didn't take any, they didn't skip anything. Yeah, that if you think that, do. there's one message that you take from there, it's that nothing was skipped, they just overlapped some of the stages. So they had all the same data they would normally have, they just got it faster. Easy. I think that's very fair enough. I think we can take that in as uh, one of our tools for this uh, conversation. Maybe this is a bit trickier, but what about someone that says, I'm weighing, I'm just waiting to weigh the risks. Um, in Australia, we're not likely to die from COVID because we've got amazing healthcare and the risks, there are risks associated with vaccines. What about people that, yeah, are a bit hesitant and just 
weighing the risks? Uh, I think this is one of the more challenging things to to communicate about with risks and benefits. And I think, you know, you've probably seen the media trying to grapple with it and politicians trying to grapple with it. So look, I think you can acknowledge that it is something that ha- individuals need to, to make this decision. There is no definitely correct answer here, but we need to put it into accurate context. So one thing that we talk about is, you know, oh, I'm not likely to die of COVID in Australia, but I think people need to remember that there are a lot of other negative consequences of COVID that are short of dying. So long COVID looks like it's affecting up to 30% of people who are hospitalized but recover from COVID. Um, It's very unclear who gets long COVID, sometimes asymptomatic or really mild infections end up causing long COVID. And the long COVID symptoms are really disturbing and varied, and they can um, include, you know, some pretty disabling symptoms, even for for young, otherwise healthy people. So that's something very much to consider, even if you think, oh, I'm not going to die of COVID necessarily. Um, And then uh, when you're thinking about vaccine risks. I think it's important, first of all, to consider which vaccines you're talking about. The risks are are different for AstraZeneca and for Pfizer. So if you're talking about Pfizer and, you know, we know it's about a five in a million chance of an anaphylactic reaction, which is pretty low. Um, And there's a a relatively rare risk of myocarditis, which is swelling around the heart. That looks like it's more common in young people. But again, we're talking sort of, um, well, we don't have exact figures, but it's looking like, you know, know, one in a million kind of numbers, whereas the COVID risks themselves are are obviously much greater than that. And then with AstraZeneca, again, you're making this decision based on your risk of getting the disease. So if you're in the Northern Territory and you have no cases anywhere uh, and you want to wait for Pfizer, that's a that's a decision you might want to make. You can decide that. If you're in Sydney right now and you've got 390 cases today, it's a really different risk-benefit equation. And just to remind everyone, the risks of AstraZeneca are still very low. It's about 15 to 16 cases of TTS or the clotting syndrome per million doses of AstraZeneca, but it can be serious. So I don't want to downplay it and say, that you should absolutely not consider it. You should go check out, there's a, a government decision aid called Weighing Up the Risks and Benefits, which is worth checking out. And just really think through what are the benefits of the vaccine for you? Does it include access to travel? Does it include being able to visit your grandma in a nursing home or feeling safer around your parents, you know, if there are people who are vulnerable? Think outside of the box of just preventing disease to yourself. That's a really good answer. And uh, awesome resource that I didn't know existed. I can give you other links if you'd like to share them with people because it's, it's hard to find information sometimes out there. Yeah, and that's been a question that I've heard as well. I mean, there's a lot of information out there at the moment about COVID vaccines and how do we know what's right and what's wrong? And yeah, we're, what do we trust during this age of COVID? It's hard, man. There's been so much misinformation spread throughout the whole pandemic. I guess there's some basic rules of thumb you're you're looking if you're looking at websites you'd like to see information that's on either government websites sort of .gov or .edu an educational website you know a university website um, .org tends to be sort of your your WHOs your UNICEFs things like that um, 
that's that's just a shorthand way of sort of first checking where where the source is but also you want to see information ideally that's sort of backed up so you want to see the same information in multiple places if you see something that sounds totally it's the first time you've ever heard it sounds really crazy and and if it's true it's going to be really explosive that's a time to look more than once <laughs> look to look again to see if you can find that information on other reputable sites, because a lot of times, uh, if it's that explosive, it, you know, someone's either fact checked it, and you'll be able to find someone debunking it, or you know, it's been it's been backed up in other other locations, other so- sources. But um, ideally, also, you want to look for information from Australia first and foremost. There is, of course, great information being produced internationally, but it's not always relevant to the Australian context or to our schedule or to our vaccination schedule. I mean, you know, so it's a good idea to try and find a source based in Australia. Yeah, fantastic. So not doing the old like self-diagnosing, look at the computer and be like, oh no, and then shut it. You're looking at, looking again and questioning your sources and yeah. I think yeah, you want to you want a, uh, at least a second opinion from a different Dr. Google before you're uh, <laughs> taking that one. So, in terms of these reasons why people don't want to get the vaccine or they're just not too sure, the first one I might need help with is: Can you get COVID from the vaccine? There is no way to get COVID disease from the vaccine. The vaccine does not contain any live virus. And in fact, the vaccines that we have just contain a little bit of genetic code that goes into your arm, into the cell. Your DNA reads that genetic code. It cannot change your DNA. It cannot be combined with your DNA in any way. But your DNA reads that bit of genetic code. And what it uses that for is it builds the little spike protein that sticks off the side of a coronavirus. And so it it builds the spike protein, it teaches your body spike protein bad, don't let spike protein in. Uh, And then the genetic material is destroyed by your body anyway. But then if your body ever encounters a real coronavirus, a real SARS-CoV-2 virus, it recognizes that spike protein. And that's what it's preventing disease, you know, that's how it prevents disease. So there's never a whole virus particle inserted into your body. So Mm -hmm. you cannot get COVID from the vaccine. What about the side effects from the vaccine? I've heard people concerned about like long-term effects of vaccine, but even those short-term effects. Definitely a a valid concern and question that people have. So with terms, uh, in terms of the short-term side effects, um, they're common and people should probably be prepared. You don't want to go around telling people, uh, that they definitely will be totally fine and feel great after they get vaccinated. We know that both the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer vaccine and eventually the Moderna one, when we have that one, they're pretty commonly cause things like a headache, sore arm, tiredness. In some people, they might cause like aches and pains. Those symptoms last anywhere from uh, sort of like one to two days usually, and then they clear up. Only about less than 1% of people in Australia have to go to a GP uh, or, or an emergency department because of the side effects of the vaccine. Some people do miss work, but it's sort of less than 20% of people need to take a day off of work for their side effects. But people should be prepared, you know, if you can put some plans into place, get the vaccine on a day when you don't have a huge amount on the next day. But it's also good to remember that more than, I think it's about 54% of people have no side effects at all. So that's, uh, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to feel like crap after you get it. In terms of the long-term side effects, of course, we haven't had the vaccine 
for 10 years. So it's very logical to say, well, you know, what if it causes something in 10 years? The thing to say there is, first of all, with all the other vaccines that we currently have, um, that we've had in use for decades and decades, there is no vaccine side effect that emerges longer than six months after vaccination. So these vaccines, these COVID vaccines have been in use around the world more than six months and nothing has come up in the billions of people who have received them. So there's no reason to even believe that it's likely that a long-term side effect could occur. And then the other side of that is we know that COVID likely has pretty serious potential long-term effects. I mean, that's if you don't die, right? So if you just have COVID itself, you could get the longer COVID, you could have other lingering effects from COVID. And I think increasingly with all the disease we're seeing around the world, it's not a question of, should I get the vaccine um, or, or, you know, it's basically a question of, should I get the vaccine or, or will I get COVID? Because there's no one is going to be out in the world unprotected from a vaccine and not infected with COVID in the next couple of years. It's just too transmissible and too present. So it's, an, it's a when, not an if, that you'll get COVID. So I think if you're weighing it up that way, I'd rather the vaccine. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's not an if, it's a when. Because... I guess when, especially being from Adelaide, like we seem a bit removed from these, removed from outbreaks and things like that. So we can get quite complacent. But when you're anywhere else in the world slash anywhere else in Australia, a lot of the time that is the reality is it is a bit scarier. So I guess it's just maybe putting that in perspective for whoever you're talking to. And Yeah. And it's coming. I mean, the thing is, if we're going to reopen the country at 70 or 80% coverage, if you're in that 20 or 30% who haven't been vaccinated. I mean, it's COVID is going to be here and it's going to spread like wildfire through that unvaccinated population. And that is a, you know, that's something we're preparing for. And it's not that we want uh, unvaccinated people to get sick, but it's just going to happen. And so we, we, I think need to be prepared that we're not going to be Fortress Australia for that much longer. Yeah, absolutely. understand. What about fertility, breastfeeding and all things babies? Can the COVID vaccine affect your fertility? Uh, short answer is no. There's no evidence that the COVID vaccines have or will have any impact on fertility. They are uh, safe for women who are pregnant, and they're also safe for women who are breastfeeding and for women who are planning pregnancy. And that's based on global data from, again, billions of doses that have been delivered around the world. And we've followed, you know, uh, just in the original trials, there were thousands of women who became pregnant after getting vaccinated. And so those women were followed up in those trials and there was no evidence of any impact on, you know, uh, birth weight or miscarriage rates or anything like that. It was all considered um, sort of the same as the background rate for the rest of the population. In terms of pregnancy, the Royal uh, Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recently, well, a couple months ago, put out a recommendation that the Pfizer vaccine should be recommended for women at any stage in pregnancy, any point in pregnancy. And again, this is all based on much more data than just what's in Australia. We're collecting safety data from all around the world. So we're talking, you know, millions of doses and millions of women being followed up with this information. Uh, and then with breastfeeding women, uh, again, uh, safe to have while you're breastfeeding. You don't have to stop breastfeeding to get the vaccine. And it looks, preliminary data looks like the 
antibodies, the protective antibodies in the mum do pass through the breast milk to the baby, which is good. That's what we want. That's what we look for with like flu vaccination for pregnant women and whooping cough vaccination. We don't have a huge amount of data about whether, you know, how, how, how protected a baby is because of that. But, um, you know, signs are good. And, and I guess the other thing to say on this is pregnant women are uh, at much higher risk of severe outcomes if they do get COVID. So they often deliver babies earlier because your lungs are compressed when you're pregnant. It can be much worse for the, for the mom herself. So yeah, it's worth being protected um, if you are pregnant. That's really good to know. And I think that what is coming a lot more clear to me is that it is such a I don't want to use the word unprecedented because it's just awful but like there's it's so many there's so many people having these vaccines at the moment and so there is so much data I guess we don't really question well I haven't questioned any other vaccine that I've ever had you just assume that all of this stuff is done so but knowing that there there's just this constant stream of data and like they are rightfully questioning everything and so the advice is always yeah Really, really yeah i mean i think that's a reassuring thing to think about so there's been more than four billion doses delivered around the world australia started as we know a little bit later than some of the other countries in the world with our vaccination program but one of the upsides of that is that we have a huge amount of data from the uk from europe from america and canada and so all of our sort of safety surveillance systems talk to each other and so we're getting you know incredibly detailed reports of information from those countries and it means that you know as we vaccinate younger people you know we have all this data about it that's the reason we know about this you know potential side effect of the Pfizer vaccine that I mentioned earlier it's really from data overseas you know we haven't had any cases in in Australia and I think we should be reassured by the fact that it's such a global network of information because you would just think I mean if you had every single person in the world had to drink five liters of water, some of them would probably keel over. You know what I mean? We're talking about a really huge number of people getting this this medication. So the fact that we're picking up safety signals is not surprising to me. It's kind of reassuring that we're able to use that to then improve how we monitor for those same issues here. That's good. That's really great to know and really reassuring. I've got a bit of a weird one and I'm not sure whether it's relevant to ask you, um, but it's about it's it's about masks. Another dialogue that I'm hearing quite a lot is um, that it's masks are a violation of people's freedom and they can't breathe. They don't like the government telling them what to do. How can you encourage someone to think differently about mask wearing? Oh, it's pretty tricky. So what you're sort of referring to comes up in vaccination as well. And it's basically people make decisions based on their deeply held moral values or their worldview. Um, And these things are not things that we always are conscious of, but there's been a lot of research into this space. And so there's people who have particular values around personal liberty is something that's really strongly held for some people, or purity is something that other people value really strongly. And then there's other people who have a really strong value for uh, community and fairness and things like that. And none of these things is inherently better or worse than another thing. It's just different ways of sort of making sense of the world around you. But if you are someone who has a really strongly held belief in liberty, um, personal liberty, you are more likely to resist anything that you feel is is being imposed upon you. So something that removes your choice. And so that we see that whenever vaccines are 
required for something, you know, um, uh, like a vaccine mandate. And of course, with masks, you know, when people are saying you need to do this for the greater good, predominantly, you know, masks are about protecting yourself, but really about protecting those around you as are vaccines. Unfortunately, it can be difficult to appeal to someone who has the liberty moral value by saying you should be community minded and you should believe in fairness. You know, you're not going to change how they think you have. I mean, and I don't have the solution for this exactly, but you have to come to people where they're at. And that means sometimes having spokespeople, like the message being delivered by someone who they respect already. So if you've got someone who who's, you know, well-known and well-respected in a particular space or a commentator on TV, and they're able to come out in favor of it, that can have a lot more sway than, you know, someone coming from, from a, a, a different political perspective or something like that. And then it's the reason, I guess, that we end up with this sort of stick approach of like, you'll get fined if you don't do this, you know? Um, and that doesn't change people's feelings about it. They don't want to do it any more than they did before, but it can sometimes result in compliance, at least. I don't have a great solution for convincing someone to wear a mask who's dead set against it. But yeah, I would just try and be, I guess, with masks and vaccines, you try not to completely alienate people who have a really different view from you because one way that over time you might change their mind is just by modeling the behavior that you value. If people realize that everyone around them is doing something, they may shift their behavior because people are really influenced by, you know, the people we trust and the people we like and and the people we see every day. And so if you really alienate people and you cut them out of your life, they might just only ever surround themselves with other people that have their views. And that can result in people going down these sort of rabbit holes of, of, you know, resistance and conspiracy theories and things like that. That was a long answer to say, I'm not sure how to change their mind. (laughs) No, no, I think it's, that's, that's great. And I, what resonated with me was maybe even just, yeah, don't alienate someone that is that has these points of views because, yeah, that does turn them further in a different direction um, perhaps than you. But also just modelling good behaviour. If your family members choose to not wear masks in the shopping centre, then that's your decision is to wear one and you're going to keep doing that and just make sure that you're living true to your values. And, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think what we can do, I mean, sharing your story is one of the greatest valuable things you can do in terms of vaccination is talking about getting vaccinated, talking about why you chose to, if you haven't been vaccinated yet, talking about why you want to get vaccinated, all of that, like making that public, making it really clear that you are in favor of the vaccine and that, you know, these are your reasons. It kind of seeps into people's minds, even if they have other views or they they think, you know, they're on the fence, that kind of thing. If you're being really open about that, it normalizes it and they realize, okay, well, I like them. I like that person. I usually trust what they say. They're saying they're going to get it and they file that away. And then they might have a conversation with you later or something like that. Or it just might be that enough people around them also talk about it and they kind of go, oh, maybe I'll just go ahead and do it. Yeah. I thought of that today when I saw that Hamish from Hamish and Andy, he just posted a social media like photo on Instagram of him getting vaccinated. And I thought, oh, this is so powerful. And I hope he understands just how powerful that is. And so, yeah, seeing someone that you know and you can recognize and you affiliate with and they've they've made that positive decision. Yeah, I love all the selfies. I mean, there can't be too many of them, really. (laughs) 
Although try not to put the big needle going into your arm in the photo, if you can help it. We like to see happy plaster on the arm and smiley face rather than like, here's the needle. Yeah, here's how big it is. If you already yeah. have a phobia, here we go. Oh, no, that's true. So post it on social media. Don't post the needle because it's just a bit gross and squeamish. <laughs> um, that's been extremely helpful. I feel a lot more confident in just listening to someone and when they do have concerns, pointing them in the right direction of information. So going to those like .org and .gov and making sure that they're Australian resources because they're the ones most relevant to us and and just modeling good behavior. And if you're, yeah, if you're informed, if you're confident in your decision, then model it and be a super responder and start sharing your knowledge with others. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners to help us to start responding to anyone about COVID or COVID vaccines or masks? Um, look, I thought that was, that was a very good summary that you just did there. I guess I would just say one other thing is you don't have to know, like you don't have to have the answers ready for someone. You can, it can actually be even more helpful sometimes to say, not sure, like let's look it up together because what you might be able to do then is both find the answer and instill a little bit of that sense of like what's a good resource and what's not a good resource or something like that. So it can be helpful if you know, for instance, the like a couple places to go to get answers. So obviously the government websites have information, but there are some people who don't trust the government. And so that's not going to be helpful for them or those websites might be hard for you to navigate. So some other places I would recommend having a look are the Australian Academy of Science has some resources out there about particularly about fertility and breastfeeding and pregnancy is one. Uh, and another one's about weighing up the risks and benefits that can be really helpful. Uh, and another place to go is the Melbourne Vaccine Education Centre or MVEC. They've got a website with tons of information about vaccines, but if you go to the vaccine confidence page in particular, they have all kinds of links about how to respond to misinformation, how to have a conversation, you know, effectively with people who have questions and lots of other links out. And then of course, yeah, the WHO and, and, and UNICEF and, and things like that. But yeah, have a little look. If you know you're going to have these conversations in your day-to-day -day life, find a couple things that you think are really helpful. The conversation is also a good place to go. It's a news site where they do sort of short explainers and they're constantly updating those. So if you're looking for something that talks about like, the latest recommendations from Atagi or something like that, the conversation can be a good place to find a like a really digestible version of that. And just remember, you don't have to have a fight with people. It's not helpful. So talk to people who are on the fence, preserve your relationships with people who are absolutely stridently against vaccinating and, and yeah, be that sort of positive role model. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for your time, Dr. Kaufman. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That has been another episode of Super Responders. Hopefully this episode has been helpful in your journey. And if you have any feedback or thoughts about this episode, please get in touch. You can visit us on Instagram at Super Responders. And while you're there, give us a follow. And if you're enjoying the podcast, you might even want to go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review or tell someone about it. That's that. Thanks for following me on my journey to becoming a Super Responder. And we'll see you again soon.